heads up, because you are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green. I'm the Black Bandit. Welcome to you. Back to Sports from the Hoodwood. September 7, 2022. Coming up this week, week and one NFL previews of information. All the information is Baseball heads down the stretch of the postseason. Is this going to be a stock token? Remember, CFP expands to 12 teams. Finally! Take a look at how the whole setup's going to shake down. Goodwood High Five is on tap. Fat Dap, Dead Slap, and all the sports things that you can handle. It's been a long time since I've given you a strong beat to step to, so we got to make it tough and strong. Sports in the Goodwood kicks off. Let's go. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest, unfiltered commentary and insight on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's Hoodwood's hometown hero, K.J. Green. I'm in Ohio. Makes for a long drive. I'm your man, KJ Green, welcoming you back. I know it's been a while. Technical difficulties, financial difficulties. I'm still in the same place. The hood would stay strong, but it took a while to get back to where we're at here, and but here we are again. Tell your friends, smash the like and subscribe buttons on YouTube if you're on Apple, if you're on Spotify. Hit the likes. Tell everybody you know that the craziest, funniest, most offbeat sports take, but I also have good sports take, strong, but the most offbeat sports opinion show is back. The podcast is back better than ever. Get the word out. The Hoodwood is back. I'm a little grayer in the beard. The punch is still there. It's still a little soft in the middle, if ever so slightly, but the sports takes are still as razor sharp as ever. Now, let's lay out how the show goes. If you haven't been in the Hoodwood, welcome. Glad you came by. It's a quick hitting show. I'm always throwing things at you. You got to pay attention. You might learn something before we're all done. But as it starts out now, the meat of the show is going to be about football. We're going to be picking NFL games, talking NFL, what's going on in the National Football League. And I have picks every week, and I try to do the best I can, which do pretty decent, but many people think I'm crazy for some of the picks I make, and I don't care because I'm going to make them. And then after a short break, we'll do, we'll basically split the, the takes in half, eight games before the break, eight games after. Then we'll go into the hood, we'll get other, other takes, other information, other topics that I like to talk about, and I do talk a lot. Don't mind the mascots back there. They always have some sort of dumb commentary even though they said it's been too long, which it's true, it has been too long. But I also have information, stuff that you can you can digest, maybe things that you may not agree with, but I want your correspondence if you don't. We we'll also have what I call the Hoodwood Hot Five, which is the top five. Sometimes it's ranking, sometimes it's things, the top five things that I can't get out of my head. It, it may be something irreverent, it may be sports, you never know. You got to check it out. After that, we have the Fat Dapid Head Slap, which is the kudos and what were you thinking in the world of sports. I think you really like that. And then the show wraps up 
with the final word from the wood, which is my commentary on an issue in sports, maybe about a person, a thing, an issue in the world of sports. That's how the show goes. So, let's start out, without any more further ado, with the week one previews. Well, 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 here we are again. It's September, and the biggest thing that's starting out, no, it's not pumpkin spice lattes. I don't want to hear about pumpkin spice lattes. Thank you very much. It's the picks. It's NFL picks. What I'm going to try to do is uh, provide expert picks and prognostication. Is that a word? I think it is. For the 2022 NFL season, I can't get 22 outright for some reason. So if I stumble over it, please do the NFL picks. Thankfully, I can now refer to Washington-based teams by their new nickname. I was hoping for Warriors, but Commanders, eh, I guess I can deal with that. There are a couple of location names that are different. So we'll deal with that going forward. We have 18 weeks for 17 games. I personally detest the uneven number of games, but it is what it is. So for those who forgot, here's how it goes. Game is broken down. I'll give you the matchup. Team records will be listed on the screen as well as fast facts. We're going to list 2021 records for the first week. Game location time network. Eyes provided by ESPN. That is for comparison purposes only. If you bet the line and lose, that's on you. I know way too many bookies and bookie enforcers, and they don't play. If you play with somebody else's money, that's on you. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, finally, also have the game pick. So take your pick as you want it, whatever way you want to go. Now, one pick I'm going to be dead on sure. That's the lock of the week, and I'll name it as such. Um, one, I think a one pick I'll figure will go kind of against the grain. That will be the upset of the week, and I'll have that marked as well. I'm usually good about 65% of the time, but you'll hear about it in stream either way. Anyway, let's just go ahead and get started on the 2022 season, which will start where the last one ended uh, in SoFi Stadium. For the second year in a row, the not the, the uh, defending champ, well, the defending champ will start its title defense in its home venue first game of the year. Unlike Previous seasons, there'll only be one Monday night game in week one. The previous, I don't know, about dozen or so seasons, there was usually a doubleheader for week one. They shifted it for week two. They shifted it to week two, I should say. And uh, my Vikings are actually playing the Eagles on that Monday nighter in Philadelphia. But we'll do the various schedule quirks. We'll detail as the season progresses. Uh, but as for now, NBC has been its wont. For the past few seasons, kicks off the NFL season, this being its 102nd, all times that I will have listed on the screen here below will be Eastern Daylight Time until we get to Eastern Standard Time, but every all the times are listed as Eastern. Leading off the NFL docket for, as I mentioned before, its 102nd season, Buffalo Bills at the Los Angeles Rams, that game being played at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. A 20 kickoff on NBC on Thursday night. Those two and a half point favorites. Uh, fast fact, again, will be listed here, so I won't read it to you. Just see it and take it as you want. When we last saw together watching football, the LA Rams won a thrilling Super Bowl over a surprisingly tough Bengals squad at SoFi Stadium. They get to kick off this season against another AFC contender, the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Bills are one of a handful of teams jockeying for AFC superiority and have added an aging but still potent Von Miller to their defensive arsenal. With MVP contender Cooper Cup 
still catching passes from the redoubtable Mount Matthew Stafford at the head of a rank cable Rams offense, that Bills defense will get a real test right off the bat. Not to say that Josh Allen will have an easy time with Aaron Donald working on Rams defensive front. This is a real toss-up. I'll give the Rams benefit of the doubt, you know, being in front of their in front of a very happy home crowd and playing up to making their home crowd happy, unfurling their second Super Bowl banner. I will give this pick to the LA Rams. Let's move on to the Sunday games. These games are on Sunday, September 11th. This is a Fox and CBS doubleheader week. NFL dangs to let both of their networks have doubleheaders on both networks. It's usually in the case, it's usually one or the other. This week and usually the last week of the season are both networks getting the doubleheaders. Let's start off with the Saints and Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. It's 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Saints are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Now, the Falcons are still trying to wean themselves off of Matt Ryan, who has departed from Indianapolis, and hope that Marcus Mariota is enough of an answer to get them a few wins, or at least tie them over, until Desmond Ritter, former Bearcat, is ready to take over. Now, the Falcons start their 2022 campaign in the Big Easy, is that a Big Easy? No, they're in they're Atlanta. But it's like one, both of them were Mercedes-Benz Stadium at one time. And I get them mess, mixed up. But they start the 2022 season in Atlanta. Now, the Saints are in a better, slightly better position. They at least have veteran experience in Jameis Winston, solid running back in Alvin Kamara, and a decent receiving core led by Michael Thomas. That said, the defense usually plays up to their opponent best. They can play up and down. Sometimes the ups outnumber the downs. But this that said, they should have enough to have their own their way with the Falcons team. They're still searching for their identity. Pick here is New Orleans. Next up on the docket, we have the Browns and the Panthers. That game will be playing at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. Panthers are two-point favorites. Former Browns top draft pick Baker Mayfield doesn't have to wait long to face his previous employer. And you can be sure that he's looking to settle old grudges. If you can recall when he transferred from Texas A&M, I beg your pardon, Texas Tech, to Oklahoma, Oklahoma dropped 60 on his former school twice. Now, the Browns have a cable running game themselves with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But we're looking to show off newly acquired Deshaun Watson. I wonder what happened to him. He got an 11-game suspension. We're going to have to wait 11 games to get him on the field. Instead, we'll look to the well-traveled Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Now, the Browns have a capable defense, and they know Baker Mayfield's tendencies. So this may be a slighter, tighter game than one might think. But the Browns, depending on Jacoby Brissett, is asking for trouble. Can I interest you in a bridge if you want to pick the Browns? My pick is Charlotte. I beg your pardon. <laughs> My on with the 1 p.m. games. Our next game on the dock of the 49ers at the Bears, playing at Soldier Field in Chicago. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Niners are seven-point favorites. The Niners talked about trading off Jimmy Garoppolo pretty much the bulk of the spring and the summer. Nothing came came of it. They gave him a uh, another year's contract, no trade clause, so he will be backing up Trey Lance. Trey Lance has a starting job. For now, but if he slow, if he doesn't, if he starts out slow, you can be sure Jimmy G will get the starting nod. Now the Bears, save for the redoubtable David Montgomery and the young Justin Fields, are a hot mess, and I have zero faith in them. 
that said, I'm still leery of a West Coast team coming East for an early game. I think it'd be closer than one would think, but I think the Niners are better on both sides of the ball. The pick here is San Francisco. Next game is the Steelers at Bengals being played at Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati. 1 p.m. CBS is kickoff. Bengals are six and a half point favorites. I did not say that wrong. I did say Paycor Stadium. No, they didn't build a new venue in Cincinnati. They just renamed Paul Brown Stadium. Bengals signing a multi-year contract with a local HR firm renamed once monikered Paul Brown Stadium. The defending AFC champs. They were just Cincinnati, the defending AFC champs. They look to start fast against a team that used to bully them often. But now they're in a serious state of flux. With the time of Big Ben Roethlisberger, the Bengals have a clear edge in the number of skill positions on both sides of the ball. And if the Steelers don't put pressure on Joe Burrow, Burrow will pick their secondary apart. The Bengals aren't the punching bag that the Steelers grew used to being able to slap around. And they take great delight in having the tables turned and being the bully. The pick here is Cincinnati. Next up, we have Eagles at the Lions. That game is being played at Ford Field in Detroit. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Eagles are four-point favorites. The Eagles made a late dash claiming the playoff berth, even though they got slapped around by Bucks in the in the wild card round. They start their season in the Motor City, facing the Motor City Kids, in their umpteenth rebuilding season. Eagles need to keep Jalen Hurts upright and healthy to be a factor this season. But I really don't see him have them having real problems in this one. Detroit has a lot of problems, and a quarterback like Jalen Hurts will exploit them quickly. The pick here is Philadelphia. Next up, we have the Colts at Texans. Game being played at NRG Stadium in Houston. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. Colts are eight-point favorites. The Matt Ryan era starts in Indy, where the longtime Falcons quarterback has now landed. He will get a soft open as they face a Wolverine Texans team that is still really searching for an identity. The Colts really shouldn't be threatened here, as all-world Jonathan Taylor should have his way repeatedly against a suspect Houston defense. The pick here is Indianapolis. Next game is in Miami, where the Patriots take on the Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. Dolphins three-point favorites. The Pats are still trying to get used to having Matt Jones as their signal call. I mean, they had Tom Brady for 20 years. Still kind of getting the new guy's smell off of Matt Jones. They're trying to find an identity. Are they a passing team or a running team? Who knows? They had the South Beach to face a new-look Dolphins squad who added the dynamic Tyreek Hill to their receiving core. But the questions about Tua Tagovailoa still abound. This is really a tough game to call, to be honest. While I like the Dolphins' offensive potential, they have a lot of it there, I don't trust Tua just yet. Pats will always have that dynamic about them, but I don't trust Mac Jones either. His inconsistent play is still haunting them. Gonna roll the dice on Tua and probably regret it. I'm gonna pick Miami here. Take a quick timeout where we look at the rest of the week one games, the late games, Sunday nighter, and the Monday game. Sports Completely continues after this.
You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact-checks, your host, KJ Green. Welcome back to the Hoodwood. I'm KJ Green, and let's continue with the Week 1 picks. Our next game on the docket is the Ravens at Jets. Game be played at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. Ravens are seven-point favorites. Lamar Jackson is point-blank playing for his paycheck, period. He wants the obscene Mahomes, Watson money, and he's betting on himself to have the kind of season that will force the Ravens to acknowledge that he is their franchise quarterback and pay him accordingly. I'm facing a Jets team that is still young, still finding their way. I really love Robert Sala as a coach. He's going to be an absolute stud as a coach, but the Jets are still the Jets. They're still young, and they've got a lot of growing to do, and Lamar Jackson is going to have his way. Dick here is Baltimore. Next game on the docket, the Jaguars at the Commanders. Game being played at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Commanders are three-point favorites. Now, the Jags are hoping that new coach Doug Peterson can infuse them with the kind of winning mentality he had in Philly. Starting off in Washington may be asking a bit much to impose Will. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is improving, and they have a lot of young talent, but they are still young. Meanwhile, the Commanders are a team. They're really still hard to figure out, though. Start with the well-traveled Carson Wentz on offense, under center, and add a solid running game. Add Montez Sweat on the defensive. Good-looking young uh, defensive player. He He's a stud in, 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 in coming. The Commanders have the tools to be dangerous, to be sure. They may not give the Pokes or the Eagles trouble, but they will get the winnable game. This is one of them. Pick here is Washington. Next on the docket, let's move to the late games. First on the late docket is the Chiefs at the Cardinals being played at State Farm Stadium. Glendale, Arizona, 425 kickoff on CBS. The Chiefs, four and a half point favorites. And the late games start with a doozy. Now, both teams have high powered offenses and are led by dynamic quarterbacks. Now, though it seems that the faith in Kyler Murray is a little bit on an uneven side, waivers here and there. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, is Casey's man with the plan in the palm of his hand. Unquestioned leader in Casey can get the job done. Now, Kansas City's now missing a key component in Tyreek Hill. He left for Miami. He still has offensive weapons to be to be sure, and Travis Kelsey, former Bearcat. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and the newly arrived Juju uh, Smith-Schuster. They're hoping that Smith-Schuster can fill that hole that Tyreek Hill left. I think it'll be an entertaining game to watch. But the Chiefs can score in bunches, and while the Cardinals have weapons, the Chiefs just seem to have more on the ball. They can win shootouts, and the Cardinals don't like to play shootouts. Game turns into a shootout. I think Kansas City carries the day. Next game on the docket is the Raiders at the Chargers. That game being played at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Don't you think that 
The Chargers love as the Rams play Thursday night. Multi-use facility. They get the home home draw for the late game. 425 Eastern kickoff on CBS. Chargers are three-point favorites. This is a rematch of the thrilling regular season finale between the Raiders and the Chargers that came down to an overtime kick and could have ended in a tie. I was hoping it was going to be a tie to keep the Steelers out of the playoffs, but that's just me. Anyway, the Raiders headed their former home city to take on the Chargers. Derek Carr is still waiting for that real breakout season, but he has a new weapon in collegiate team teammate Devontae Adams who both played at Fresno State. Facing a dangerous Chargers defense led by the irrepressible Joey Bosa, the Chargers are not a team to be trifled with. Now the Chargers also have a pretty good offensive weapon package themselves. Justin Herbert leading an offense that has Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams. This is a potent Charger offense to be sure. Expect another high scoring thriller I'm banking on the home team again here to pick here the Los Angeles Chargers. The game near and dear to my heart is the Packers at the Vikings being played at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. That's a 425 kickoff on Fox. Packers are one and a half point favorites. Heated rivals facing off here in an early season duel. Both teams have established quarterbacks. So Minnesota's new coach may only have a season to decide if Kirk Cousins is still the starter going forward. But as long as uh, uh, running back Dalvin Cook stays healthy, the Vikings will be a tough opponent to deal with. Cousins has Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson as wideouts to keep defenses honest and promoting up the box. Now the mercurial but still brilliant Aaron Rodgers pilots the Green Bay Packers offense. Though the loss of Devontae Adams to the aforementioned Raiders will stunt their power some. Many people know that I'm a Vikings fan. I will... I uh, will not be shy to say it. And it goes against my fiber to pick against them. And Green Bay is the better. No! No, I won't do it. Pick is Minnesota, damn it. I won't do it. Won't do it. <clears throat> Moving on to the Giants at the Titans at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. 425 on Fox's next game on the docket. Titans five and a half point favorites. The Titans are still in a bit of a day. After their stunning loss to the Bengals in the divisional round back in January, and start their 2022 campaign, as I talk, start their 2022 campaign at home against the lowly Giants. Poor Daniel Jones has to face a withering Titans defense that will spare him no quarter, and the Titans' offense still has that dude named Derrick Henry, and he is still well, Derrick Henry. Though his odometer is running a bit on the high side, he's still the dominant running back. Now, asking the Giants to slow him down, much less stop him, will be no mean trick. Tennessee is my lock of the week. Sunday night game is the Buccaneers at the Cowboys. That game is going to be at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. They 20 kickoff on NBC. The Buccaneers are two-point favorites. The Sunday nighter is a good one. Pair of 2021 playoff teams square off, led by the ageless Tom Brady. Buccos remain a contender as long as he pilots their squad and stays healthy. Having a solid receiving core led by Mike Edmonds and Chris Godwin does not hurt matters. The Pokes, the Pokes are just so full of questions, but so full of potential. 
Mike McCarthy is on a super hot seat. Bank on that. Owner Jerry Jones is looking with lustful, longing eyes, dreaming of Sean Payton stalking their sidelines. And if uh, Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott get off the slow start, that seat that McCarthy is sitting on is going to get very hot. The folks have capable tools on both sides of the ball, to be sure, but they're at times indifferent play tends to bite them in the butt against capable opponents. The Bucks are in no mood to play polite guests, and betting against Brady in prime time is suicide. Big ears, Tampa Bay. Monday night to wrap up week is Broncos at Seahawks. That game is being played at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. 820 kickoff on ESPN and ABC. Whichever one suits your fancy. Broncos are five-point favorites. An interesting game to close out kickoff week. Like Baker Mayfield facing his old team, Russell Wilson faces his longtime employer. Unlike Mayfield, he'll be facing his former team in his former home. It'll be very interesting to see how Wilson reacts to the notoriously noisy CenturyLink crowd. This is going to be crazy. I I really anticipate it's going to be really crazy seeing Russell Wilson first run out in a Broncos uniform and then possibly get booed. Be interesting. Broncos have strengthened their QB QB position, but they are noticeably weaker on the defensive side. I think Wilson may have some issues early with the Seattle crowd, but the drop off in QB on the Seattle side will be too much to overcome for Seattle. Even at home, it'll be a close game, but I think the Broncos should win Denver. Now, normally at the end of this segment, I'll tell you how I did over the week. Rock was correct and the upset was incorrect or not. And we have a tally. We'll see the next But this is the first week. So we're starting out with the Time out. Come back with baseball and college football. Baseball killing time to October. And college football finally goes to 12 teams. I love it. I really do. We'll come back at you after this. commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live. 
back in the Linwood. I'm KJ Green. Welcome back. And let's talk baseball. Wait a minute. Where's my bat? I think better with my bat. Let's talk baseball better. Here it is. Baseball is still in the picture. And though most of the divisional races are teetering to the edge of boredom, I mean, the Western races are just a joke. The Dodgers are up 17 games on the Padres. They've went 51 and 15 since being a half game behind the Padres uh, near the end of July. And they have just burned it up late as of late. I should say at the end of June, the 51 and 15 stretch, they may seem a joke of the NL West. AOS is just as much of a joke. Astros have been setting the pace pretty much the whole way through. But there are some other compelling races. Let's look east. We thought it was going to be a Subway Series almost in the cards with the uh, Mets and Yankees seeming to run away with the, with their divisions. But funny thing happened on the way to the Subway Series. The Rays and Jays have basically made tracks and have tightened the race. The Yanks have played poorly over the last, say, six weeks. And that once insurmountable nine-game lead is now two. In the NL East, the Mets were leading the Braves by seven games at one point. That lead is down to two. So the Braves are coming on hard. Remember them? They won the World Series last year. But you have to think, both of the, the New York teams are looking over the shoulders at hard-charging opponents. And this may wear them down, this hard-charging pennant race, May wear them down for the playoffs. Remember, there's expanded playoffs this year, and three wild card teams get in. So the fight for the best record in the respective leagues may already be settled. But there's a pennant race in each of the divisions that still need to be settled, and a wild card, three wild cards. Now, when these teams come together in the playoffs, you're gonna have three. Uh, wild card playoffs, best of three, then those teams move on to the divisional round where the top seed will be waiting, having gotten a uh, bye from the um, from the wild card round. Finishing first will be nice for home field advantage and having that week's rest. But nothing settled, not just yet. Even though I do think that the Dodgers and the Astros have, have made enough of a separation where they'll get that first round by the pennant races in themselves, the wild card jockey, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch this month of September and going into October. Cause remember we're playing another week in October because of the lockout that started in March. So there are a lot more games still to be played. Stay tuned. Finally, 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 CFP has finally seen the light, and we will see a 12-team college football playoff. I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm so happy. And start with this, it's going to make it the SEC Big Ten Invitational, as I have campaigned in the Hoodwood for years. And you can go all the way back to 2017, 2018, where I've been on this podcast campaigning for a 12-team playoff. And they finally got the model right. Six conference champs, six highest ranked at-large teams. You have to love the way they finally decided, you know what? Let's give everybody a fair shot. The American finally gets their seat at the table. 
Now, I still don't like the fact that you may have the opportunity to cram more SEC or Big Ten teams into the mix, and you know they're going to try it. You know they're going to campaign and say, well, we're the strongest conference. We deserve the most teams. Why? Give the conference champion, maybe the runner-up if it's a, if it's a good game. But I don't want to see a third-ranked team in the Western Division of the SEC getting a title shot where you have a, a conference runner-up with an equal or better record staying at home. Set the bar right. At best, the conference runner-up should be in the mix. But this still allows a UTSA, an App State, or Coastal Carolina a legitimate fair shot at getting a place at the table and a fair run at the title. I love the first-round games on campus sites. That's going to be must-see TV. I can't wait to see a Southern team heading north to play, say, at Madison. Can you imagine the snow there in December? Or, uh, say, an Ohio State having to travel to Athens to take on a Georgia team. Or an ACC team headed to Notre Dame. That'll be interesting mix. Now, I, the, the, the quarters and the semis and the, the national championship will still be the bowl games, which placates them. The bowls have always been in basically messing the whole thing up, saying, well, what about us? You're ruining the traditional bowl games. Aside, I mean, I know bowls. I know the names of bowls and though they're familiar. But as the average football fan to name a bowl other than Fiesta Cotton, Rose, and Orange, and they're going to be like this. You can't do it. And you know you can't do it. You take these major bowls, put them in the mix for the playoff, and be quiet about it. Peach, Cotton, all those. They get their, their moment in the sun, has all this kind of pageantry or whatever, but it's still part of the college football playoff. Gone will you will be the days when you see a, a team like my beloved Bearcats whose national championship aspirations have been killed off this year with an early season loss. But you give a team like that a fair shot, even though they lost an early game, to be able to fight their way back and redeem themselves, win their conference, and get a shot at the playoff. The late, great sports commentator John Saunders, who I was a big fan of, used to decry talk of playoffs by saying, the regular season is the playoff. Why? I vehemently, vehemently disagree on this. I mean, if your team takes a loss and everyone says your team has no chance at redemption, what are you playing the rest of the season for? My Bearcats took a loss to Arkansas, and everybody's like, the earth season's over. you got no shot at the playoffs. The best they can hope for now is 12-1 and a New Year's six-day bowl, which is decent. But a lot of people got, they got oozed by that playoff. They love the chance and having a shot at winning a national title. A 12-team playoff does that. Oh, no one will accept a one-loss champion. Georgia won the national title. Bears lost. 
lost to Alabama in the SEC title game. And again, I still say a conference runner-up should have a harder way to go to get to the national championship than just, oh, they're, they're, in a, they're in a tough conference. Why is the SEC considered such a tough conference? You have Alabama, you have Georgia, and you have your mix of who comes up good every now and then. We're talking about playing it fair, leveling the playing field, giving all the teams a fair shot. And in the, at the end of the day, that's all that it should be. Okay, let's take a look at the Hoodwood Hot Five. This one will be pretty brief. We're going to look at the Hoodwood Hot Five college teams. We'll go from five to one. At number five, we will look at the Clemson Tigers. Dabo Swinney has a good squad. I think he his team is good enough to merit as ACC frontrunners. And right now, they'll hold the number five spot. At number four, you have Big Blue, the Michigan Wolverines. Look chillingly efficient in taking apart a decent Colorado State squad at home in the big house. 51-7, to and the game really wasn't even that close. I watched parts of that game on Saturday, and quiet as kept. The Wolverines are going to give the Buckeyes a hard way to go. But that, that's, that's far down the, the, the horizon in November. Right now, Michigan is telling everybody, we're the defending Big Ten champs. Best respect us. At number three, and I know this is going to make a lot of people mad, Alabama. Oh, they're the number one team, KJ. What are you talking about? What are you... Alabama is not the defending national champions. Oh, no, no, they're not the defending national champions. Okay? Yes, Alabama has Bryce Young. Yes, Alabama has all these great recruits. Yes, Alabama has the ageless Nick Saban, who he's the, the, the college version of Bill Belichick. Huh? Huh? That's all he ever does is mumble about. He doesn't get the kind of respect. I'm sorry. When you play Cookie State, okay, it was Utah State. But when you play a frightened team, a ho-hum beating of a frightened opponent gets zero respect here in the Hoodwood. None. Now, our number two team is Georgia. What they did to Oregon on Saturday bordered on criminal. They beat Oregon like they stole something. And Oregon, the supposed Pac-12 frontrunners, they were never in the game. 44-3. In the, in the Georgia Dome, or the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, whatever they call that now, but a 44-3 beating, that was was damn near criminal. And at number one, as much as I loathe to say it, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, I still believe that Notre Dame should not have been the fifth-ranked team. They got that ranking on high. Though I do like Marcus Freeman, I think he's going to be a hell of a coach. That said, Notre Dame should not have been ranked that high. Going into Columbus, I honestly thought that Notre Dame was going to get their brains beaten. But, to their credit, and I don't give Notre Dame credit that often. I mean, you'll, you'll notice around the hood, I can't stand Notre Dame. 
But I'll give them credit going into a hostile environment. And I've been in Ohio State before. That is an intimidating venue. But to go into Ohio State and stand toe-to-toe with the Buckeyes, the Buckeyes were, I wouldn't say on the ropes. I'm not even going to say they were on the ropes. But they did They have their hands full with Notre Dame. But they pulled away late and, and, and did it a, a, a yieldman, workman-like performance. They make, it makes them, not the Crimson Tide, the best team in the country, by my reckoning. That's the Hoodwood Top 5. What do you think? Let's get into the Fat Dap and Head Slap of the Week. The Fat Dap of the Week go to the Little Guy College Program. Now, I am long an advocate for the forgotten schools, the smaller schools, the little guys, the ones that take the big paycheck from bigger schools, then drink their liquor out of an old fruit jar and be a rude guest. You might see every now and then a big boy school gain to go to a smaller school. And more often than not, it's trouble. Teams like Appalachian State, Old Dominion, Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, they stood toe-to-toe with the big boys while App State lost an absolutely bonkers game. 40 points in the fourth quarter, not combined from both teams. State scored 40, 4-0 in the fourth quarter and nearly pulled off a stunning upset of ACC powerhouse North Carolina. Are you serious? And to take Appalachian State lightly, you do so at your own risk. To take a team like Old Dominion lightly, like Virginia Tech did, is taking your life, taking a chance on your own life. Ask Virginia Tech what happened. They took on Old Dominion, and they took a nail. East Carolina, I feel so bad for Owen Daffer, the uh, kicker for East Carolina. Misses the extra point that could have tied the game. Gets a shot at redemption to win the game against North Carolina State. Pushes that one wide to the right. After he pushed the extra point, why to the left? It's hard being a kicker. And people say, oh, being a kicker. The... Kicking is a hard thing to do. I challenge anyone out there in the hoodwood to take a kick. Take a ball. You kick it off the tee and try to kick it through a goal post. You can't do it. Coast Carolina and Old Dominion came away with impressive wins. College football is back, my friends. And I love it. Now, our head slap of the week, I really don't like picking on people. I don't like picking on journalists, people who are actually, this is their job. But there are pundits who make themselves, leave themselves open for widespread criticism, such as the case with Stephen A. Smith of ESPN. He went on and on and on and on about Donovan Spider Mitchell leaving Utah or getting traded from Utah to the New York Knicks. It should happen. It should happen. Donovan Mitchell belongs in New York. And there was a back and forth dialogue between the Knicks and the Jazz. Now, the Jazz wanted a boatload of draft picks similar to what they got in the Rudy Gobert trade to Minnesota a few weeks ago. 
New York balked on it. They talked. New York balked on it some more. And it ended up, Spider Mitchell didn't go to New York. He went to Cleveland. He went, wait a minute, he went, he went to Cleveland. Yeah, he went to Cleveland. The Jazz and the Cavs put their heads together and came up with a workable trade package. Now, Stephen A. Smith gets on his soapbox and whines and cries that Spider Mitchell should have came to New York. He would have been. How many players should have come to New York? I mean, you could put a, a squad together, shoulda, couldas, about players who were supposed to come to New York. Kevin Durant, LeBron, Giannis, Jimmy Butler. Kristaps uh, uh, Porzingis was in New York and left. They traded him away. And now Spider Mitchell. All these players, except Porzingis, Never played New York. Never talked about coming to New York. It was the New York media hyping it up. These players should come to New York. Why? Why does the New York media want to build up the Knicks who haven't been good in 20 years and haven't won a title in going on 50? I will be 50 in two weeks. The last time... The New York Knicks won an NBA title. I was an arm baby in my mother's arms, drooling, not dribbling, drooling, and having no concept of what sports was. 1973, that was the last time that the New York Knicks won a title. Why does the New York media continue to laud this team and make this team and hype this team up so much? It makes no sense to me. None. I mean, and as long as, as James Dolan runs this team, they won't be good. Players don't want to come to New York. They don't want to deal with the mess. They don't want to deal with James Dolan is the basketball version of George Steinbrenner without the titles. And that's pretty bad because Dolan has no clue of how to run a basketball team. And players know that. Players see that. Do you think of Kevin Durant? Do you think of LeBron? Do you think Jimmy Butler, Giannis, or a host of other good to great players want to be in this mess? They don't. But you have you have these pundits like a Stephen A. Smith going on and on and on about how players should come to New York. You can win. You need a win in New York to be considered a star. Funny, Giannis won a title in Milwaukee. Funny, Kevin Durant won two titles in Golden State. Funny, LeBron James has won four titles in three different cities, none of which have been New York. Head slap to Stephen A. Smith and the New York media for whining and crying over another player that they had no chance of getting. And now, without further ado, here's the final word from the Woods. I'm not much one for tennis. Like golf, it can be engrossing when there's a compelling story. I can vividly remember the brilliant and captivating run of a slightly over-the-hill Jimmy Connors in the 1991 U.S. Open. He thrilled the Flushing Meadow crowd with an improbable run to the semis, defeating a player in Aaron Crickstein, who was 15 years his junior, in a four-hour, 41-minute match for the ages. 
turn back the clock. Jimmy Connors thrilled the crowd with his gutsy play and revved up the crowd with every point. I remember it vividly. Connors called it the best 11 days of his career. It made for captivating mm-hmm. viewing. Now, over 30 years later, the tennis world gets to watch another tennis legend make a last charge through the U.S. Open. Serena Williams, who's won 23 Grand Slam titles, has, like Connors, thrilled record crowds at Arthur Ashe Stadium with a pair of wins. The second, a slightly unthinkable three-set win over Annette Cunderbank. Star-studded crowd, which included Tiger Woods, Spike Lee, Dionne Warwick, Gladys Knight, Seal, and Anthony Anderson, among others, watched and were captivated by the back-and-forth affair. Woods won a tense first set in a tiebreak, only to watch Conovey bounce back strong to win the second set rapidly and easily. And it looked like Williams was done after blowing a 40-love lead in the third game of the third set and getting her serve broken to even the third set at one apiece. A little late the clock has struck midnight. And I was watching the match and thinking, man, this is going to come apart real quick. But there's a reason why Serena Williams is called the GOAT in women's tennis. It became apparent. She broke Conovate's serve on the very next game and only lost one more game in cruising to a 6-2 third set win to move on to the third round. But this was no little feat. This wasn't just some average Jane player. And it kind of is the second-ranked player in the world, don't you know? It was a great win, and the classic kind of was effusive in her praise for Serena. Now, for Serena, she is playing with house money, I thought. I thought once she got that first win under her belt in the first round, everything else was great. But the U.S. Open crowd knew they were watching a shooting star. They knew brilliance when they saw it. And they roared and were behind her for every point. It was kind of funny to watch the the chair umpire repeatedly and repeatedly shush the crowd who was chanting and cheering Serena's name. If if it's just brilliance just for the final time, Serena has been on the stage, the the tennis stage, for a quarter century. with, With and then eclipsing overseas sister Venus. The brilliance of Serena cannot be denied. And to watch a glimpse of her greatness, if only brief and a bit faded, is still something to marvel over and treasure. Though Serena's run was not as dynamic as Connors as she lost her next match, it was still a captivating run. And if you're like me, you just sat back and enjoyed the performance. And that is the final word from the world. With the music coming up in the background, you know that means your time in the Hoodwood is just about over. Thank you so much for your visit this morning. Now, if you want to send me an email with questions, comments, show topics, criticism, I vote KJ Green at BlackBandedProductions.com is my email. Send me an email. I will respond. I try to respond to every email in timely fashion. The podcast is available on Apple, iTunes, it's available on Spotify, it's available on YouTube. Check your local listings. It's your favorite uh, podcast provider. 
be able to find sports for good with. Put out every week. I put out every Thursday. And I welcome you to come back. I always welcome you to be with any time. For my people that raise pictures and help us get the news to film, and my host of research and crew members and my executive producers with the map in the background, I'm KJ Green. Until next time, I'm the Woodwood. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.